We're going to look at this parable of the two debtors. And the other day I was talking about how, you know, you know someone who's been saved from a lot of sin. And I used the example of a guy I know, that friend that was saved after committing second degree murder and how on fire he is. And I thought, why don't I have that? Well, the fact of the matter is this parable teaches the main theme of the parable that those forgiven of much are grateful of much. And that's why people are like that, that have had a life of deep sin. They get saved and they got all kinds of joy because they realize what a change. Those of us that are reared up in a Christian home and saved as a boy, you know, we were never in, in the bank robbery business or whatever, extortion, Brother Jim back there. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a standing joke to pick on Jim about money, something. I don't know what it's, I guess Gary started it and accused him in the counting room of teasing him, but so I guess he gets picked on. But anyway, uh, here are two debtors, and we notice the extreme joy and, 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 and you know, peace and all that that one of them has uh, because they're forgiven of so much. And it's a great, great story, and that's the main lesson. Now, this is one of Luke's unique parables. He has 18 of them, and he's the only one that writes on this one. There's a similar parable the other Gospels share, but it's an or a parable that takes place uh, at a different time in the life of Jesus. Uh, this parable uh, takes place in the beginning of his ministry, and the similar ones in Mark 14 and John 12 take place later in his ministry. Remember, parables are identified by the words like and as. We're going to say that every time for uh, you know, all these parables so that you memorize that. That'll help you in the future. They reveal truth to God's followers, but conceal it from those who don't know the Lord. They're fictional stories or false stories, but they illustrate truth. We know that Luke, as we said, is a Gentile physician. He's not one of the 12 followers of the Lord, but soon afterwards followed, wrote this book, wrote the book of Acts, and traveled with Paul on his missionary journey. And so what a great story we have here. And the reason Jesus told the story, well, we're going to stop here, and we're going to read. And I'd like you just to help me with reading. I picked a bad week. I, I, had, I told you I had that infection, and then I have a sinus problem, then I got a flu shot. And, oh, I shouldn't have got the flu shot, but I didn't know the other things were going to happen. So uh, I don't want to try and read all this for my throat. So if you'll help me read, just start reading. We're going to read verse uh, 36 through 50. And we need to read this because it's an awesome story. Just reading this is a blessing. You know, John tells us in the book of Revelation, just reading scripture will bless you. And so we're going to read this. So if someone will begin reading in verse 36, read what you want to read and stop. And then someone else pick up there. I'll read when there's a pause. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. 
Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said to her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. God bless us tonight. So take a look in the book for a walk in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great story. Isn't that awesome? Just reading that's so awesome. Um, Pharisees did not see their own sin. Their sin was self-righteousness. They thought they were better than everybody, more spiritual than everybody. And obviously they had a problem with pride because when you think you're more spiritual and you're self-righteous, you really have a problem. That's why Jesus always respects the person that says, God have mercy on me, I'm just a rotten sinner. That person's honest. Here we have someone that comes, this lady, and she's classified as a sinner. Now, that was a derogatory term in the day. We refer to ourselves as sinners quite often, but we use the term in a general sense. But this was really a term used in that day to refer to the worst of the worst. And most scholars tell us she was a prostitute. That means a very bad woman, and that's why she was called a sinner. But you know, she recognized her sin and recognized that Jesus was the solution to the problem in her life. The Pharisees recognized, didn't recognize their sin, and, and until they did, they wouldn't be forgiven. So they have a big problem. And so Jesus is teaching a lesson here, and the lesson is that he's welcome in the home of this Pharisee, which is good. Luke shares three stories of Jesus eating with the Pharisees. Jesus is also welcomed in the heart of the prostitute. And uh, Simon is the Pharisee here, the one who asked Jesus to eat in his house. I respect that, but there's no, not any record of him ever repenting of his sins. And you see in the text where he questions Jesus and looks condescending upon him, looks down on him. Now I have here, we're not going to read these, but there are nine Simons in the New Testament. And you can uh, take that and Keep that for your records. I've heard people preach sermons and preach on John and go to another passage just talking about a different John and different Jameses. And I'm thinking, this is a nightmare. It's very difficult to discern to figure all that out. And even preachers that have been preaching a long time will get up and preach something, they'll quote something that applies to a different person. And that's difficult. Uh, and so there, at least you have the Simons sorted out. And there are many. But this the word sinful, as I already explained, referred to the worst of the worst. It was used for publicans and prostitutes, immoral people. They were referred to by those two terms. The rich people had open courts in their house. 
if you've ever seen the movie um, Ben-Hur, there's a lot of good things. Of course, it's not a true story, but it's a good movie, and you see the open courts in, in, the, in the rich people's houses. They have a wall around, and then you go inside, there's a lot of room. And the Pharisees all were wealthy, and they would have people into their homes, and the open court would fill up with people. And some came just to get the scraps which fell. Uh, <clears throat> there were seldom women allowed near the rabbi, so this is unusual. Because a woman wasn't even allowed to speak to a rabbi. Remember Jesus at the well and the disciples are wondering why he's talking to this woman. She's a Samaritan. Why are you talking with a Samaritan? And I'm paraphrasing, but women weren't allowed access to spiritual leaders. Of course, Jesus would change all that, wouldn't he? Because he's the master and he's going to do it right. He's the perfect savior. And so he allowed women to come. But here you have a, your first fill in the blank. It's sad the needy should have given been given the chief seats, but of course, that wasn't the way it worked. Jesus rebuked that as well. He talked about how you Pharisees like the best seats in the synagogue and at the feast, but really they should be reserved for the most needy. C could you imagine if we really did what we're supposed to do? You have a church fellowship or a homecoming meal, and uh, you know, you have a pastor's table up front. I never have liked that. Uh, because scripturally, we should put the needy people at the first table. And the pastor should get in the back of the line like everyone else. In fact, scripture says those that are the last or least in this life will be first in the kingdom. So we, we tend to even practice some of that in church. And that's wrong. You shouldn't treat me better than you treat the most needy person in the church. If a homeless man comes in here, you should be just as gracious and kind and respectful to him as you are to anyone else in the church, a deacon or the pastor. We're respecter of persons a little bit, but these were extreme respecter of persons. And in, in, we mentioned Luke 16 in verse 21, what did the man desire in verse 21? You remember the story, the rich man and Lazarus, he desired what? The first answer is crumbs. We don't have time to look that up. He just wanted crumbs. At you know, Lazarus just wanted the crumbs that fell from the rich people's table. And so these people would gather in here just like that, that story as well. And, uh, and they would just want to get some scraps. And in Luke chapter 20, verse 46, there's three things the scribes loved and one they desired. And we ask here the three things they love. And we'll look there uh, because I don't want to just rush through this. But notice what the scribes love. Now remember, scribes are lawyers. Of course, they were corrupt. There were scribes of the Pharisees and there were scribes of the Sadducees as well. They all had lawyers. And our grammar comes from that. That's the Greek word and we know the English word. And notice what they love. And it speaks so much about their heart's condition. And of course, lawyers today are all, all honest and upright and we respect them so much. I'm just kidding. There are some good lawyers. And, but but uh, we know that there's a lot of crooked lawyers. But look what they love, the, th the three things and one thing they desire. The thing they desire was long robes. Why would they want long robes? What, what, why would they desire that? They wanted attention. Wanted everybody to look at them. Ooh, look. There's a scribe. There's a lawyer. And maybe he works for the Pharisees or the Sadducees. They know about how he's dressed. But look at him. They wanted those long robes. And then there's three things it says they loved, and look what they loved, and they're all, they're, and they're not supposed to, you know, take advantage of their position. They wanted to be greeted in the market. 
And I'm not saying, hey, dude, they wanted to be greeted with people respecting and bowing and, and so forth to them. They wanted to be honored in the marketplace. And then notice they wanted the best seats at the feast and the best seats in the synagogue. So it was all about, look at me. And anytime a Christian gets like that, it's, it's appalling to the Lord. It, it just disgusts the Lord. We're just too arrogant for our Lord. All of us are too arrogant for our Lord. Even right now, we're all too proud for our Lord. None of us are humble enough. Did you hear that? None of us are humble as we should be. And these people certainly weren't. But Scripture gives us these examples so we can realize that we have to be careful. I've even had to say to church people over the years, you know, when a visitor comes in and you act as though they've taken your seat, how dare you? I hadn't seen that here. But that pew you're sitting in doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. I've had people say, well, I, I've been a charter member of this. No one said this here. I, I shouldn't apologize really for preaching. I guess if I step on your toes, it's all right. But people sometimes say, well, I've been a charter member here and I gave a lot of money. And because of me, we, we built this certain room under the church. And so I want that room to be used only for the lady society. Once you give to the church, it no longer belongs to you. It's now the Lord's money. When the, read the early church, they sold land. And they laid the money at the apostles' feet. And they didn't say, here's what you got to do with our money. It was now the church's decision to use that money to take care, they took care of the poor with it. I'm not saying it's wrong to give above your tithes to something special and say, I want to send, I want to put $50 in our place. Can you send 50 to this missionary? That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you want to control how your tithes are spent in the church. And I've had to deal with that in almost every church I've been at where I said, I don't care. I've had to look people in the, in the face that were big givers and wealthy people and say, it doesn't matter. Your vote is no more important than the vote of the widow who can only give one penny. And when the church decides to do something with church property or church money, so be it. You cannot control things in the church with the dollar. I wish we'd have some rich person come along and write a check for 700000 and pay off our debt. We'd... I'd have a whole orchestra up here. I'd have trumpets and trombones. And, I mean, I'd, 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 I'd have, we'd, have, we'd have everything you could imagine. And, uh, but, but, you know, uh, that, that doesn't always end up being the best scenario because sometimes that person will then say, I'm in charge of this church. And you know who's in charge of this church? This is Christ church. Dan's not the head. The deacons aren't the head. Bryce is not the head. Jesus is the head of the church. And so we are only following him. I'm the under-shepherd to the Lord right now. Bryce and I are the under-shepherds. He's the shepherd of the youth, but he's the under-shepherd to Jesus. I'm the shepherd, of, you know, here in one sense, but I'm under Jesus. And so... We have to realize scripture. We have to compare scripture with scripture. I've had pastors say to me, well, I'm in charge. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You know, no matter who we have here, 
we are all submissive to the authority of God's word, to the Lord Jesus, and all of us need to yield to elders. That's biblical. And so if we ever have a problem five years from now, 10 years from now, there's a problem with, with anyone here, the elders have the right to confront someone, no matter who it is, and say, this is wrong, and we're uncomfortable with what you did here. And, and, and elders can be confronted by other elders. There has to be a two-way accountability in the church. You have to be accountable to your pastor, and your pastor has to be accountable to you. And so that's, that's, those are safeguards. And this is not about any of the past pastors, okay? This is about the future of your church and our church and God's church. I've got to be careful what I say. But this is about the future. We want to always do things right. And sometimes someone who confronts someone in love is looked upon as a troublemaker. If they do it in love, they're not a troublemaker. They're doing what the Bible says to do. The hardest thing to do is to confront somebody and say, I want to talk to you about something. And I've had to do that many times over the years, even here. It's hard to do that, but you do it in the right spirit. And you say to someone, no, that is just plain wrong. I love you, but that's wrong. And if they've been confronted one-on-one, -on -one, then the next way to do it is with witnesses. But we have to deal with sin. And, and I got way off the subject here, but Jesus told the Pharisees they were wrong. Now, back to our sheets, and I'm rambling too much. She told her, she sold herself, she sold herself for money, but now she gave it all to Jesus. He's a prostitute. She gave this ointment. And according to scripture, one pence equaled one day's pay. And Mark talks about the value of this ointment in several places in scripture where ointment's giving. But if ointment's worth 300 pence and one pence is a day's work, a day's work, then you got to consider this ointment would be worth about 300 days work, all, all, a day's work. That's almost a year's salary. Now think of that. You know, how many people would say, you know, I make 75 a year, I'm going to give 60 of it to the church. This lady did that. And that's amazing. In verse 38, she's weeping as a result of sorrow for her sin. What lesson did Simon and the Pharisees seem to miss? The need for repentance and recognition of their own sinfulness. And you can fill some of these in at home because you have the sheets, but they miss that. Their eyes are focused on this woman as a sinner and their eyes should have been focused on their own sin. And, you know, they're, they're focusing on her. And, and even Simon, who invited Jesus to his house, says within himself, why is he mingling with, why is he touching this woman? Why is he allowing this? She's a sinner. That's what Simon said. He's the one that invited Jesus to his house. So he missed the whole point. Jesus is accessible to sinners. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden. He wants, he wants this church to have people come in that are lost and be saved. He wants the homeless person to come in that door and be welcome, be loved. He wants the drug addict. He wants the gay person to come in here and, and for the church to be kind to them. Jesus loves sinners and he's kind to them. And here this one's a prostitute and he's allowing this to go on and and, you know, all of us would question that if a prostitute came in here Sunday morning and came up here and, 
and just hugged me and wept on my shoulder and she was dressed pretty provocative. I guarantee there'd be people here that'd be angry. Maybe not you, I hope not you. But there's always in a church someone that says, what in the world's going on here? They can't have enough discernment to realize there's a hundred people watching, nothing's gonna happen here. But this person's broken about their sin and pastor's just trying to help her and encourage her. And if we can't have enough discernment to see that, then we're like the Pharisees, you know? I mean, I, I, I've told you enough stories. I gotta quit rambling. Let's move on. I was gonna tell you another story that happened to me. But notice verse 38. She began to wash his feet with tears. Now, pastor, how many tears did she have? Well, if you read Psalm 56, verse eight, they kept tears in a bottle. It was a custom of the day. I don't know why, who started it, but they would actually collect tears I don't understand why, but I read books about manners and customs, and people actually would collect tears, and so the psalm talks about that. If you want to turn there, we can. Psalm 56, 8. Um, we can just read that. If you get there before me, just read it. <clears throat> it says here, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. And, and, and I read where that is a custom. So she's now brought her bottle of tears in, evidently, because crying are not going to create enough tears to wash his feet. But she, can, she continues to kiss his feet. She's pouring tears and crying, weeping, and tears are flowing, no doubt. And then she's got this bottle, evidently, along. We don't know exactly how it all worked, but she's kissing him repeatedly, crying repeatedly, and washing his feet with her hair. Now, there are certain... Semitic people that if you even let your hair down in front of a man, you'd be put to death. She's really a broken, humble woman. And I wish we all could experience a time in our life when we were that broken and that humble. Wouldn't that be great to have a Sunday where people just broke and we were down here weeping and people were crying and people were just, just, I know we got this stupid virus. I'm so sick of it, you know. I hate this virus because I thought today, I've heard about eight people singing in this church that can carry a good tune. We could have them up here, eight, practice a song and singing next week, you know. We can't do a lot of stuff. We got to be careful with this stuff. But I'm sick of it. But if we had that type of experience where we're all broken and crying and hugging each other and realizing God has just come in here in a powerful way, and, and, and he will if we'll yield to that, you know. He will. He, he wants us to be broken, humble people. And, and she was. And, and they couldn't get it. She uses her tears to wipe up his feet. She kisses his feet. And, and he says to Simon, you know, you didn't wash my feet. Now, it was a custom to wash feet. And he said, Simon, you didn't wash my feet. Of course, the Pharisee's not going to. Jesus did everything. He went against the grain and everything, didn't he? He comes to the disciples and he starts washing their feet. And what's he doing? He's our master. <laughs> You're not washing my feet. If I can't wash your feet, you'll have no fellowship with me. <laughs> and he says to Simon, you didn't wash my feet. That was a custom for a lowly house servant to do that. Well, he wasn't a lowly house. You didn't kiss me. The custom was to kiss. They, they did kiss on the cheek. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
Now we do more handshaking. Now we don't do much of anything with this virus. But the custom was to kiss on either side. He didn't kiss Jesus because he's a Pharisee. He looked at Jesus as beneath him socially and spiritually. Jesus was just a rabbi. And rabbis were the poorest leaders in the Holy Land. Poor spiritual leaders. And so here Jesus says, you know, she did the right thing. And of course, he's, the Pharisees and even Simon are thinking, well, she's going to contaminate him. She's a sinner. Jesus not only touched the prostitutes, but he touched the lepers, and leprosy was contagious. And in that day, they didn't have the drugs we have to deal with things. And he became sin for us. So he went the extra mile to touch sin, didn't he? And boy, did he touch sin. And Simon, in verse 39, judges him wrongfully. Let's look back at our text in verse 39. I'm running out of time, but I want to get through this today. Now, when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, this is Simon, saw him, he spake within himself. This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches them, for she's a sinner. That's what he thought. But Jesus knows everything. And so Jesus answers them. Can you imagine you're a Pharisee and you think this thought about Jesus and he can read your mind? And Jesus says to him here in the text, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And then he goes on to say, <clears throat> rebukes him. You know, and he gives this story about two debtors. One who owed 500 pence and the other 50. And the one who's forgiven of great sin rejoiced and praised him more. You know, I said sometimes I'm a little jealous of someone who gets saved from a life of deep sin there. Woo, glory. And I'm going, man, I'd like to have that. <laughs> I saved, I was saved 50, over 50 years ago beside my bed after hearing the gospel in First Baptist Church of Oakham. I says down on my knees and I got saved. And I did have a great peace, but I never remember. Woo, glory to God. Of course, personalities are different. So not everybody responds that way. Sometimes I see someone and I'm like, I wish I had that. Well, when you're forgiven of a lot of sin, you're pretty excited. Yeah. And you can imagine this prostitute, all of a sudden she comes in contact with the great physician. And she doesn't need physical healing, she needs spiritual healing. And he finally says to her, your faith is saving. And now she's clean, you know. And of course, she's so broken, of course she's going to be saved because the first thing you needed to be saved is to recognize your sinfulness. And boy, she knew her sinfulness and she just drops the feet of Jesus and she's weeping and, and she's, you know, kissing his feet repeatedly. It's such an awesome scene. But he knew her heart. He also knew Simon's heart. Whose heart was right? You know the answer. The prostitutes. And explain your answer. You can do that later. But Simon had a good reputation. The prostitute had a good heart. What's more important, inward character or outward reputation? And you know the answer to that. This is more important. We want to always impress people. I just wish we'd be real. One of the greatest comments in my life, and I didn't deserve it and don't deserve it very often, but. When I taught evangelism in college years ago, 
the class got together and surprised me and gave me a New Testament. All of them signed it. And Drew Messer, whose dad's the pastor at Trinity down in Jacksonville, uh, there's a Bible college and all that, he wrote in there, thanks for being real. And I'll tell you what, that got me, I thought. At least for a moment in my life, I was real. <laughs> but let me tell you, folks, many times I'm not. We wear a mask, don't we? And we allow our flesh to rule the day. We need to recognize that. Do you recognize how vile and filthy you really are when you're not in fellowship with God? Do you recognize what you were before you were saved? Even if you were saved at five, do you recognize that you were a hellbound sinner at four? Recognize that. Be real. Know who you are. A few weeks ago, I was preaching at Tinker Valley, and my son, Zach, who's now moved to St. Louis, was there. And I said, my son can tell you what a sinner I am. <laughs> he knows Dad. He's seen Dad behind the wheel. He's seen Dad at the buffet. You know, he knows. But it's important that I know. It's important that you know. If we really want to do business for God, we need to realize what we are. I don't want to minimize the fact that we're children of God. That's another sermon. Praise God, I'm a child of the King. That's a whole other sermon. We don't, we don't forget that. But today we're talking about the reality of the fact that we are just sinners. And the goodness in our life is just by God. But <clears throat> here, she saw her past as a sinner. Jesus saw her future as a saint. Isn't that awesome? Jesus tells a simple parable and shows Simon an answer to a question. Then Jesus rebukes Simon's sin. John Owen said this, He who has slight thoughts about his own sin never has great thoughts about God. That's a quote worth remembering. If you think little of your sinfulness, then you don't have big thoughts about God. You need to be honest about your sinfulness. I know a few weeks ago I preached on Judah and I talked to men about lust and there were some guys that were like really shocked that I just put it right out there and said, you know what you battle with guys all day long. And then there's a couple of you keep, I'm not going to say who and I don't remember who, but they were like, oh man, he, he, he really knows my heart. No, I know our sinful ways. I don't know your heart. God does. But I know how rotten we can. I don't want to always pick on the man. The ladies, they'll come too. But guys, we know what we are. And we need to confess and deal with it day by day. I love 1 John 4.10. Not, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us. It's not shocking this lady loved the Lord. Man, she loved the Lord. The Lord saved her from all that. She had a feeling inside she had never had before. That had to be an awesome thing in her heart. So it wasn't surprising that she loved God, but that God would love a sinner like her? That's what's surprising. By our standards, she was trash. Trash. But you know what? God sees a pearl of great price. He doesn't look at the clam, does he? Nasty old thing down in the dirt. Even a speck of dirt that's inside that little critter. We were made from clay. 
we were just dirt, but yet there's deity in us. God sees the pearl of great price. He sees the value in her. He sees her future as a saint. God can envision her in glory as a completed saint with everything new. I should preach this Sunday morning again, but you wouldn't want to hear it twice. But I'm having a good time because this is just the Lord here. <laughs> but Simon took for granted his self-righteousness. The woman showed gratitude for Christ's righteousness. Simon labeled her a sinner, but he was a, had a bigger problem with sin, didn't he? Because he didn't realize his sin. Simon had rightly judged and, and would learn from Jesus who, who was truly righteousness. Literally, the word right is the word ortho, you know, straight means straight. We get our word orthodontist and orthopedic. They straighten your teeth, straighten your legs. But I say he had rightly judged. He had, he had, he, he had it right when he said she's a sinner. But where he had it wrong was not realizing his own sin. We're going to preach against sin, and we recognize sinners. And you can look out there in the world and see sinners. The problem we have is dealing with our own stuff in our own heart and our own house. And Simon didn't kiss the Lord and didn't wash his feet. He didn't anoint the Lord's head. She, she anointed him. And Simon considered Jesus beneath him socially and spiritually, as I already said. But God made her past irrelevant. And that's why she acted the way she did. She recognized, this is my master. This is my savior. There's no way she would drop at his feet if he were just another rabbi. There's no way she'd have fallen at his feet and wept and, and done all she did if he was just another person. She realized that he was indeed the Messiah. And for a Jew to recognize that, that's big stuff. And Jesus responded by saving her. And he realized she was broken and she recognized who he was. And that means she's ready to be saved. And he said, your faith has made you saved. Your faith has saved you. The word forgiveness means to cancel a debt and to release. The custom was for the high priest to pronounce forgiveness from God after a sin offering. Well, guess what? Jesus is the great high priest. And he would pay for her sin once for all. And this is the first time in her life, verse 50. First time in her life she felt clean rather than dirty. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? All her life she carried guilt and sin and worried. She, anywhere she went, she knew people would look condescending in her because she was a rotten person. Yeah, I've had, our office is kind of in a bad place and we have some pretty rough people come to our door sometimes. You know, I have a battle with my old new nature every time it happens. Oh, who's this bum? That's the old nature. And the new nature says, but you know, at least talk to them. You might find out you can minister to them. But I don't want to spend time with them. I got more important things to do. And the new nature says, you're not any more important than that person. But I've got an agenda today. And the Lord said, well, I just interrupted it. You see? You know what I'm talking about? Let's be real. <laughs> and old Dan and new Dan have this little battle in my office. 
Arlene, pick up the intercom, tell that guy to go away. I've never done that, but boy, I've wanted to. But if I want to be like Jesus, I have to care about everyone. That doesn't mean I can help everyone and trust everyone. I've had some people come by and try and steal and things. I, I understand that. I'm not an idiot, but every person's different. And this may be the one that the Lord saves. You know, this may be the one that's ready. So the last application is for you. We're out of time. But look, are you aware of your inward sin? I hope you go home, mark that yes. Are you aware of the character is more important than reputation? What people think of you? Reputation is what people think of you. Do you compare yourself with others? What does Corinthians say? It says not to do that. Don't do that. Don't compare yourself. You can always find someone worse. I've told you before, I go in a buffet and I look, how many are fatter than me? Can I feel comfortable here? Oh, yeah, okay, I guess I'm okay. There's several people. That is so dumb. Well, I, I get upset sometimes. That guy gets more upset than I do. Yeah, we, we do that. And God doesn't appreciate it. In fact, he hates it because it's sinful. It says if you compare yourself with someone, you're not wise. Well, I'm a better Christian than that person. I go to church more than they do. That's what we do. And we need to be real. Hebrews says we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And some of this, I hope you take these home and are real with God for a few moments tonight before you go to bed. But list some of your inward sins. Now, I only put five lines. I was thinking of you. I need a few more lines for me. <laughs> you know, those inward sins that we tend to ignore. Let's talk about the drunkard today. We don't want to talk about being envious or angry. We don't want to talk about lying. We don't want to talk about our white lies and our Let's just talk about the drunkards and the gays and the looters. The looters is a big topic in churches now. Every Sunday, oh, the looters, the looters. Well, the looters are wrong, but we got our own problems as well. And in church, we need to hear what applies to us, not just to them. We preach against all those sins, amen? When they're in the text, you're going to hear it. But tonight's text is about hypocrisy in the hearts of religious people. And I think we can apply this to our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Always truth. And when I disagree, I'm a liar. Because your word is always perfect, right on time, right on target. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.